are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning. If you have your Bibles or your smartphones, you can open them up to Malachi. That's the last book in the Old Testament. That's our series that we're in. And so Malachi, uh, and we'll be in chapter 3 today. And again, if you're new, this is what we do every Sunday. We open the Bible and we let God's Word determine what it is that we're going to be talking about. And so um, we just teach whole books of the Bible. Just go through them verse by verse. And so you can see where we stop today is where we're going to pick up, you know, in weeks ahead. And so, uh, which is fun because it allows you to not skip hard text, hard passages like today's. And so I'm um, excited about that, and, uh, and so perhaps some people read ahead, which is why they're not here this morning. So we're going to have some fun, though, um, but I want you to understand the context of where we're at. So this is the last book in the Old Testament, but all the way back to Genesis, the, the nature of, of God's people, their relationship with him, right? I, wanna, I want you to understand the context. It hasn't changed much, much from Genesis all the way to, again, this last book, the nature of God's relationship with his people is similar to my relationship with my old hunting dog, Scout. Now, let me explain what I mean. See, Scout was this uh, German short-haired pointer, right? Grew up on a farm. We had hunting dogs. And so actually raised this, this pup um, from, he was out of a dog that we had. And so kept this little pup back, Scout, this little male German short-haired pointer, and he didn't stay little very long. He's like Clifford, man. He just kept growing. Ended up probably being like a 70 or 80 pound like German short hair, which is fairly big, and, and, uh, but just a solid, like blocky head dog, right? And so grew up with this puppy, uh, just fed him, watered him. You know, would, we'd go hunting together. He'd ride in the truck. Like, this is my dog, right? And so at one point, um, and up until, for most of Scout's life, in fact, all of his life, he knew one command, hunt. And he did it pretty well, right? You, you let him out, and you're like, hunt. And you just go, and he'd find birds, and, and it was a great relationship. But, you know, I'd I, I kind of like done this dog obedience stuff. Like, yeah, I was the dog show guy, right? 4-H, Clear Cowboys and Cowgirls, Karen Murdy, yep. So I thought, I should teach this dog how to like heal, so it's a dog, right? should be able to take him on a walk. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to teach Scout another command other than hunt. I'm going to teach him how to heal. And so I get like the training collar and, and I, I slip it on over his head and, and get the leash and, and get old Scout. And I'm like, okay, Scout, heal. And you would have thought like the dog was on fire. Like he just took off, right? And you've seen perhaps like, you know, a, a big dog like walking a little kid. I was the little kid in this scenario, right? Like, his scout is just like pulling. I'm like, heel, heel, you know, and like trying to pull back on the collar. But, but if, perhaps if you've seen this, like he is straining so hard against that collar, like pulling so hard. He's cutting like his air supply off. And so he's doing that, that, that coughing, choking, like breathing thing, like, you know, and you're like, like pulling him back. And like, dude, and so... There would just be moments, like in our little training session, where he, like, he would come back to my side, but it was only so he could get enough breath in order to like, charge again. He never did actually learn how to heal. We're like, we'll just stick with Hunt. That's fine. But 
but you understand the, the idea of like the, the dog just pulling and straining against the leash. And again, if he would have broken free, who knows where he would have been. It certainly, he wouldn't have used his freedom to like come and walk next to me, right? He would have been like hunting birds in like the next county, right? So straining, trying to break free, again, not desiring to have this obedient relationship with me, his master. And I'm saying, if you can imagine Scout, this big old dog pulling me, you've got a good understanding of what it looks like for God's people, the nation of Israel, their relationship with God. All the way from Genesis to where we're at now in Malachi, they are straining, pulling, fighting against God, disobeying his commands. And and again, God is, is lovingly holding them back with some level of restraint, not giving them fully over, but they're just, they're fighting God throughout all of scripture. And there's these moments of like reprieve where you're like, maybe they, they are, they're truly getting it. But it was just little periods of recoil, not genuine repentance. Not wanting to really surrender themselves and put themselves under the Lord and walk with him and obey him. And here they are, again, we pick up the text in Malachi where they are just straining, fighting against God, pulling. And so we pick up our text there and we see In Malachi chapter 3, verse 7, God explains it as this. He says, From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Again, that's what we're talking about. They they continually disobeyed, not just them, but the fathers, and clear back to Genesis. And he says this in verse 7, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return Understand this, God is wanting to have relationship with them. He's wanting to restore relationship. And that's why he sent Malachi. Malachi is his prophet and his name literally means God's messenger. And the message that he has been bringing now for three chapters is is repent, turn, come back to God, have relationship. And and God is saying here in verse 7, return to me. I want to have relationship with you. And they ask this question, well, how should we return to you? And again, if you're new to our study, these questions are anything but sincere. They're more rhetorical in nature. They lack a level of sincerity. But nevertheless, God answers. You want to know how to return? Verse 8, will man rob God, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Okay, we're going to time out there a little bit. God's saying, oh, you want to have relationship with me? Here's a good start. How about you stop robbing from me? That might be helpful. And again, he's talking specifically, you see there in verse 8, his words, not mine. They're robbing him in the tithes and contributions. Now, a tithe was a requirement of the law Old Testament, where they were to give 10% of their crops, their livestock, yes, even down to their spices, they were to tithe, give a tenth, that's literally what a tithe means, a tenth, back to the, the temple and the temple workers. It was, it was to go, and so this is commanded in Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Second Chronicles. We see this command for them to give 
a tithe, and it's to be done, this is, this is important, out of the first fruits. Like their first and their best is to be going back to the Lord. So that means when it's harvest season, they go out there and a tenth of their crop, they give back to the Lord. And they give it to the workers and they give it to the temple and all that. And, and they would do that to give a tithe, a tenth. But it often added up to be more than 10% actually. Because in the Old Testament law required multiple tithes. There was one for the Levites. That would have been like their, their pastors. There was one for the temple and the feast and these other contributions. So the total actually got pushed to somewhere around like 23% of all that they took in. Roughly 23% actually went back to the work of the Lord. And so God set this in place. You have to understand. God set this in place for his people and their welfare to really get to experience him. Because if they didn't give, they wouldn't have been able to, to build the temple in the first place, to go there and worship and sacrifice. If they didn't continue to give, those that were supposed to be working there, praying, leading them in worship, doing sacrifices, and those that, that were to be shepherding God's people, if they weren't giving, they would have to go out and shepherd sheep instead of people just in order to feed their families. And so the system, do you understand, really begins to break down if God's people are not giving back. And that's what's happening here, is that they are not giving back. And you can imagine that, that if, just in today's terms, like with the church, if God's people didn't give, we wouldn't be able to go buy horse troughs to, to baptize Caitlin in. Right? We wouldn't be renting this room. Like if, if people didn't give, we would have to, to shut it down. The, the pastoral staff that are able to do counseling and, and work on teaching and expand ministry, I, I'd have to go do something to provide for my wife and four daughters, right? Like so, so giving essentially, really, apart from that, the church wouldn't be able to do all it's called to do. And here it is broken down that they, they would not be able to do what God has intended them to do through these offerings. And it is not one or two people that aren't giving at this point. He said, the whole nation of you is robbing from God. No one is tithing. Now, here's the thing. You're saying tithing, giving, robbing. Isn't that strong language, right, that they're robbing from God? So I'm going to use a little bit of a visual so bear with me. So I had my wife help me make these little eye boards and then one that wrote on them here. So here's what this was to look like. You've got, can you read that? What's it say? Spending. Oh, audience participation. Good. Yeah. Let me get that set up. So you got spending, saving, giving. All right, okay. So here, this is what I imagine is happening to some extent, is they've got these, these categories, and what is happening is they are not giving, right? This is not happening. They're not giving, you better believe they're making money. They're doing some things. Let me change the heights on these. They're doing, they're doing some things, but, but they're not giving. And so oftentimes, I think what happens in that process is, is you start with spending. 
Man, I don't know if they had, uh, you know, um, tuition to repay or, or, or what was going on, but spending, it just costs a lot of money to live, does it not? Some of you are figuring that out the hard way. You're like, man, by the time you do, like, <laughs> Brooke's not along, she graduated. It's like, you got to do, like, the, the health insurance thing. You start paying your rent. Maybe it's mortgage. Like, uh, it just, for us, it seems like there's always some medical bill, perhaps vehicle breaking down or car payments. Like, it just costs a lot. And so you start spending, right? And then you're like, I know I should be saving, and I mean, they take that thing out of my paycheck, you know, for retirement. But aside from that, by the time I get done spending on these things, I don't even have anything left to save. And you want to talk about giving? What? Right? Does that make sense? Like, and here's what's happening. Is they're, they're harvesting crops, but they're spending it. I don't know what their saving look like, but there's certainly nothing left to give. And perhaps someone here would say, Stan, I just, pastor, I want to give. I just don't have anything left to give. Like my heart, I would want to be generous. I would want to give. I just don't have anything left. And here, work with me. What is communicated in this? And what is communicated when you say, I don't have anything left to give? You're communicating that giving comes last. In scripture, what he's saying is it's to, it's actually to be the first thing. Out of the first fruits. And what he's saying is you give, you tithe, your first fruit. And you let your giving determine what you have to live off of. And why he's saying is, don't lose me here, this is the message right here in this visual. He's saying, I want you to come back to me. I want you to come back. And this reorienting, this reordering puts who first? God. Aside from that, when you, when you started over here, you're first. Your needs, your desires. And what he's saying is, I want to be first. And that is evidenced in your tithes and contributions. I get first and foremost, and we'll figure it out from there. And he's going to go on to say, do you trust me in that? And so, again, if you're saying, oh, I, I just don't have anything left to give, no, it shouldn't be like that is what God's word is saying, that that should be first and foremost. We should let our giving determine our living. And he's saying, tithe, give, and in doing so, you're going to return to me. And here's the, the reality you have to understand is that how much, whether it was 10 or whether it was 23.3%, it seems like a lot, but you have to consider this. Who he's telling this to is a group of people that were formerly slaves in Egypt, right? He's asking them to give, please understand. He's asking them to give off of what he has so generously poured out. 100% is coming from God. They were slaves, and now they're living in homes that they didn't build. He's asking them to give 10% of their, their crops off their vineyard, a vineyard that they didn't plant. Do you understand, like, the, the ridiculousness is like, could you just give 10%? Because it's acknowledging that 100% has come from God, and so they were formerly slaves, 
But they didn't even buy the land. They didn't build the houses that God gave that to them. They weren't bringing the rain for their crops. God brought the rain. They didn't grow the grass for their herds or flocks. God did that. And the whole nation is robbing from God. Failure to give a tenth shows a level of contempt for God. And it's an indicator of pride. Failing to recognize that God is the source of all. And here's the thing is it's, is 90% not enough to spend on yourself? You need that last 10%? God's saying to them, if you want to have relationship with me, if you want to return to me, how about we stop this robbery thing? That's God's word from this text. And it's a reorienting to drive this home further, okay? Okay. I had to ask somebody to break a five, but, but nonetheless, this is coming out of my wallet here. <laughs> Notice that I take out this. This is 10 ones and there's nothing left. Um, so this is, this is 10 ones, right? Did I, I didn't pick anybody's pocket coming in, right? You can check your money. This is my money, right? To be clear on that. So this is 10 dollars, <laughs> I was a little wealthier, I'd use more of a monetary value, but you're gonna get the point, okay? So 10 singles here, this is my money, and I could do whatever I want with this money, I could choose to, to keep it, or today, for the, the sake of illustration, I'm gonna give it to somebody, right? I could give it to you, you guys got a wedding coming up, that's pretty good. You guys just bought a house, you could probably use this. I'm gonna look for a poor college student, okay? Um, so... Let me, well, Tucker, you can be my illustration. Come on up here, Tucker. You're not a college guy. Come on up. This is Tucker, everybody. So, now here's the, you step into the light. Okay, you want to count it with me? You see that one? Four, seven, yep, eight, ten. Okay, now here's, I want to have an understanding with you. So this, whose money is this? It's my money, okay? Now, I'm gonna give it to you, and here's all I'm asking. You can, you can take it, put your hand in it, and feel good, 10 bucks, right? All I'm asking is that you would give me $1 back. Does that sound good? Does that sound fair? No. She did at least give me five bucks. <laughs> What's that? Five bucks. Five, no, I'm saying you can keep nine. It's, right, you are now $9 richer, right? Do you understand like the absurdity of this? And I think, okay, you, you can, hey, take that. You go, go buy yourself some lunch today, okay? <laughs> Anybody else want to play that game? <laughs> right, you're like, I'll do that all day long, right? The only reason he would have had a challenge giving back is for some reason he thought that money was his. To which we think, well, well, I went to work. I was the one that put in the hours. Yeah, with the job that God gave you, with the mental capacity that God's given you, right? With the health that God has given you. What did you do again? <laughs> Acts 17 says, God has given all men life and breath and everything else. The breath that you just took is a gift from the Lord. And so, lest we think that we earned it, so therefore we can keep it all back, or perhaps this. You think God's not worth it. He's not worth giving back to her. Can you imagine if Tucker's like, can anybody break a one? 
I mean, one dollar bag, that's a lot. But here's the reality. If that young man can't learn to tithe a dollar off a of 10, he's not gonna learn how to give 10 grand off 100,000. Right, it's the faithfulness in the little thing. But again, it, you're communicating something. And what he's saying is, to, to his people, he's saying, you need to reorient. This needs to be shifted around where giving comes first. Then you can figure out what it is you're going to spend and save. But giving comes first. And he says, continue on in the text, verse 10. He tells them this. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is the Lord speaking. And thereby... Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that you will not, so it will not destroy the fruit of your soil or your vine and the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be uh, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Again, what's he saying here? You have to understand the context because it's easy to read that. And you're like, whoa, 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 wait. <laughs> come back again. Verse 10 is like, so if I give, I'm going to get a whole lot more. Is that what he's saying here? Because the context, what, what, what just preceded this, he's saying, I want you to return to me. This is about relationship. That's what God is trying to set them up for. He's saying, I want to have a relationship with you. This isn't some like secret biblical principle of like how to get rich quick. But I'm telling you, I have to call time out because there's been a lot of false teachers that have taken texts like this out of context and twisted them and what is commonly referred to as the prosperity gospel. And I just want to be clear, I'm using that term negatively in that teaching of the prosperity gospel which is no good news at all is this that if you give to god he's going to bless you with health wealth and prosperity in fact mega church pastors you know i've, I've heard this that as they author their book you can have your best life now i watched one televangelist tell this crowd the story and, and this callers urging them to call in because last week a caller called in and they didn't have anything and they gave what they could and this week God gave them a new car. And so this teaching, this prosperity gospel elevates the gifts above the gift giver and it is being peddled overseas to places like Africa, India, China amongst the poorest of poors. And the teaching goes on to say that if you accept Jesus, he's going to make all your problems go away. I'm saying that is not what the Bible teaches. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The sign for Christianity is a cross, not a yacht. That makes sense. Yeah, you can write that down. Think of it. Like, seriously, they sit there and preach this when it's, who is it that we worship? Jesus, who had the sandals on his feet, who was, by all accounts, homeless. When he rode a, a donkey, it was a borrowed one, right? 
This is who we worship, this is who we follow, and you're gonna say, you're promising us our best life now? What is it that, that happened to Jesus? Oh yeah, they crucified him. And he's saying, you should not be surprised when the world hates you because it hated me first. And his disciples, 10 out of 11, went on to die deaths of martyrs. You're talking about your best life now, really? And the only one that didn't die a martyr's death was exiled. It's, it's just so heretical. It is so false to think that, yeah, accept Jesus and then all your problems are going to go away. Now, you're just going to kind of inherit the problems that, that following Jesus solicits. The gospel is not a promise of quote-unquote health, wealth, and prosperity. That would just fly in the face of who it is that we worship. The good news of the gospel is this, that hell-deserving sinners, you and me, can be forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. The good news isn't the car. The good news isn't the increased bank account. The good news of the gospel is that we can be forgiven through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's good news. That we can have a hope in eternal life that whoever believes in him shall not perish. So Jesus is the gift. And that's why Paul said, and we got this on a slide, Philippians 4, I'll start with verse 13, but, but oftentimes misrepresented, you know, you put it on your eye black as an athlete. It's like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What's the context? It says in Philippians 4, verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. That's the context for when he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. What he called a secret in verse 12. I don't want it to be a secret anymore. We can be content in this life if we have Jesus. It's where John Newton and say, all is well, it is well with my soul if we have Jesus because he is our prize. The reality is this, Christian, that God can be no more good to you than he already has been through sending his son Jesus for you. Does that make sense? Well, God, I just wish you were a little more good to me. <laughs> I sent my son to die for you, to forgive you, thus making anything north of hell Grace. That's what we deserve. Anything north of that, it's just grace upon grace. And so God has given us all we need in Jesus. And so therefore, back to our text, we don't give in order to get more stuff. Again, we, we still have to go and say, well, what is he saying? But understand this, the context isn't so that they can get more stuff. The context is so that they can restore right relationship with God. That's why he's saying you need to give. Now what happens from you reorienting your life? Well, we can talk about that. So here, here's, what does this mean for us? The application for them was reorient. Give first so that the temple can be rebuilt and, and repaired, that the workers can do ministry, that ministry can just flourish. 
God's telling them, you can have relationship by, with me by this reorienting. And it's going to be evident in your finances. Now, here's the reality. For us, we're no longer under this Old Testament law. Yay, right? We just get to keep it all, right? No. <laughs> okay, hold on. Because the principle still remains. In fact, we're going to go on in, in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. He says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. That we are to be a giving people, following the pattern of Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. And so we, if we worship him, we must be a giving, serving people. That's why Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross. If one wants to be first, he needs to be a last servant of all. And so we need to use our freedom to be generous. As it says, God loves a cheerful giver. And then if our giving, if we reorient, that it isn't reluctantly or under compulsion, but joyfully. I want to tell you that what this practically means for our church that we're really in a great spot because of generous people that have oriented their lives in this way. They're saying God's gonna get the first and the best. And you guys have shown that. Again, we're going there. If you're new, this is where our text is taking us. This isn't some like end of the year push for giving. This is just what our text says. And to be clear, you don't have to feel compulsion to give because our church is actually just over 100% in terms of expected giving. In fact, last year we we finished at like 236% of our expected giving, right? With generous people. And so if you're like, I don't want to give my money, I just keep it. Because the church doesn't need your, need your money. God certainly, he spoke the earth into existence. God doesn't need your money. The clarity from this is, is that we need to give. As it's, a, it's a worshipful act of putting God first. And it's this reality that when God's people come together as the church, the body, all these different parts can work together. So those with the gift of mercy, using mercy. Those with the gift of teaching, teaching, leadership, leading. And so we understand that when we compile our gifts together and come together in worship and come together as the body of the church, that the body working together is better than an individual crusade. And I'd say the same is true not only with gifts, but also financially. But I don't know if any one of us would be able to tithe you know, the monthly rent for this place to come together. I don't know if any one of us would just be able to send missionaries overseas. I don't know if any one of us would be able to potentially purchase a building in order to do ministry week in and week out. But together, I bet we can do those things. And we are doing those things, right? that God's people coming together. And so it's beautiful when God's people give and the work continues. And I think this is a fitting text that we're in in Malachi, given the season that we're in, that is just so filled with materialism. This reorienting, again, puts things in perspective that our trust and our hope is ultimately in God. And so application, you need to decide 
what that means for you. But here's, here's the thing. The question still remains. Will you be more richly blessed? What's it look like for the, the storehouses of, of heaven to be opened for those that are giving? So will you be more richly blessed by giving? Well, you're anxious to hear this answer, right? Is he going to go on record saying something? I'm not saying yes. I'm not saying no. Let me rephrase it. Just going to switch one word. Original question, will you be more richly blessed by giving? Will you be more richly blessed by reorienting? Absolutely. I'll go on record with that. I'd invite you, test the Lord in that. Put God first. I'm guessing it's going to go well for you, right? What it means in terms of of finances when you put God first in finances, I don't know if you're going to have more money at the end of the month. Here's what I've practically seen. Typically, what I've seen in my 11 years now of of being in a church context, and I think there's a very natural explanation for this. Typically, what I've seen is those that start by giving and maybe giving, uh, you know, 10% seemingly are more content with the 90%. And honestly, I think the ability to, to budget and, and send that out helps financially with the, the 90% they get to keep. I, I, this is just an observation. You can take it or leave it. This is my observation is that I assure you I've seen more money trouble with people that are keeping and spending 100% versus those that are spending 90% on themselves and giving. I don't think there has to be a supernatural explanation for that. Just saying it doesn't seem to go well. And again, I think it's that mentality that goes back to the original reordering. That it's like, well, I just don't have enough to give. Again, because I think it's clearly backwards. Return to God, start there, and then see what happens. God clearly tells them, he said, test me in this. And he said, Again, it doesn't mean, verse 10, as the heavens are open, what does that lead to? He's saying, you're not going to have any more needs. It doesn't mean vacation homes are just going to pop up and be given to you. Like I, But God is saying, and again, that aligns with everywhere else in Scripture. Matthew 6, I think of Jesus, you know, the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, look at, consider the birds of the air. They don't store and do all this stuff, but I take care of them. Consider the grass of the field and all the splendor. I take care of that. Surely you're worth more than a few sparrows in the grass of the field. Man, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is, Lord, would you give us our daily bread? And from my personal experience, for our family, we haven't been able to outgive God in his generosity. That's just our personal experience. And I'll just go on record and say, my wife is more generous than I am. Here's an example. There was a one-time give at a church that we were part of on I was on staff with. They're like, we're going to do a one-time give. It's going to go towards this orphanage and this, this work within our city and these kind of missions things. And they say, give. And I told my wife, I said, you write down a number. I'll write down a number. And we'll take whichever number is higher. <laughs> we were not even in the same category, right? Like, I was like, oh, <laughs> like that's what we're going to give. That's, that, we will feel that. And I'm telling you, like, Here's our experience. You don't, it's a moot point. Do you give in order to, to get? That's not what he's saying. But from our experience, I, I'm telling you, it is uncanny the number of times that we've given to the Lord and had that money just show back up 
within hours even. I mean, it's, it's just almost hilarious. But, but what God has done, and for us, what it's looked like is we've picked a percentage and then we just tried to up that every year. Again, not upping our standard of living, but trying to up our standard of giving. And I'm telling you, we, I believe, our, our walk with the Lord is as strong as it's ever been. And I'm telling you, we have our daily bread and then some. And so, guys, I, God is good and it's this reorienting. But honestly, for me, in line with the same text, if I could just confess, for me, the reorienting isn't so much in giving. For me, I'm convicted as I study this out when it comes to time. Because sure, our automatic thing, first of the month, boom, tithe goes out. But for me, when it comes to my time, I can't honestly stand before you and say, I'm giving God my first and my best when it comes to time. And this is why I've seen so many godly believers say the first thing I'm gonna do is get up and spend time in God's word, spend time in prayer. I forget what great theologian it was. Is like, man, I got an extra busy day today, so I'm gonna have to spend an extra hour in prayer before I start the day. That's where I'm convicted is that, that God is not getting my first fruits, and so the first things go towards me and my work and what I've got to get done, and so I'm, I'm confessing to you. That is a way in which I need to reorient and not give God the leftovers, if at all, when it comes to spending time in his word and in prayer. What does it look like? And I just want to give you an opportunity for the application of this. Again, the goal is not prosperity. The goal is not, it isn't even really a money talk. It's a relationship talk. And how we can have relationship with the Lord. And again, I'm encouraged by the baptism we see today where it's like, man, I want God to be Lord of all. And I want to follow in obedience. And so I ask do you want to be like the nation of Israel, like Scout, <laughs> pushing back, fighting the Lord on this? Or do you, in some sense, just want to heal, <laughs> surrender, submit? And I believe in there, that is where freedom is truly found. This is a relationship talk. And God is saying, this is how you can return to me. Reorient. Trust me. And that means giving I think that means of our, our, certainly of our treasure, but our time and our talents. Will you trust the Lord in this? I'm gonna pray before we celebrate communion together. Father, I do. God, thank you for just your word. And Lord, we, um, I just pray, Lord, right now that you would move in our hearts, that you would reveal to us perhaps where we need to reorient, perhaps where it is that we're straining, fighting, and not to our freedom, but to our dismay. God, would you reveal that now? And as we get ready to take communion, would you remind us of your great love for us and our ability to trust you? Just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.